You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Last week was our um, annual staff retreat for the church, and so we had about, I don't know, we had like 60-something people go up to Big Bear, and we do that um, every year just to, to bond, to have fun, and to receive ministry. Pastor Mike Connell was actually up there. It was unbelievable. One of the things that we did, though, is um, we had a, a theme day, and uh, one of the, the, the theme was 80s, and so we had to do a few different competitions in the 80s. We actually had a, a walk-off, and uh, I dressed up as an 80s meathead. Did we have a photo about the walk-off? Okay, there's one. That's not the one I was thinking of. That's the one I was thinking of. The, uh, that's the walk-off. So we're walking in there. They're carrying me. We had to do like, you know, a flex-off and all that kind of stuff. And we won. And, um, and then my wife, I think my wife's up there looking like Madonna or something like that. And so anyways, we had to dress up as 80s. And then we not only had to dress up and do the walk-off, but then we had to bowl. We did like glow-in-the-dark bowling in our 80s outfits. The people there probably thought we were nuts, but we took over the whole bowling alley. And, um, and I was bowling, and I'm an okay bowler. Um, I'm usually between like 140 and 180, depending on, you know, if you're scoring in, in the different frames. But the first two games that we were bowling, I kept getting nines. I would, you know, you, you throw the first ball, and you think it's perfect, but then it just leaves that one in the corner or that one over there in the corner. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm bowling and I see that one in the corner, it's a little bit intimidating. I don't, I don't always get that one in the corner. <laughs> and so if I don't get the one in the corner, it ruins the whole other nine. It's like, it's like the whole frame is ruined if you don't get the one, if you don't get the one. And so the third game, so I was like a 140, 150, the first thing is the third game, I, um, I was getting nines again, but this time I was actually getting the one. I was getting the last one, and so um, I was able to celebrate the nine because I got the one. I was able to celebrate the nine because I got the one. It was like, it was like I, I got 170 instead of 140 because I got the one. So I, I, got to, I got to celebrate. It's like, God, just give me that one. And then the whole game, you know, it's a game changer if, if you go after the one. The title of my message this morning is One More. One more, and uh, I want to show you a video, a couple of clips, so maybe four minutes or so, um, so hang in there, about a guy who was passionate about one more. How incredible. How incredible is Desmond Doss? That was a true story, and I actually saw the premiere of it and met the guy who got him to finally tell his story after 15 years of not wanting to tell it. And they finally made that movie, Hacksaw Ridge, based on a World War II battle in, in Okinawa. And uh, Desmond Dawes, he was, an, he was an American combat medic who was the first uh, conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor by Harry S. Truman for service above and beyond the call of duty. Desmond Dawes saved 75 men by himself without a firearm in that brutal, brutal battle. He saved some of the people that were ridiculing him and making fun of him, as well as some of his enemies um, in that 75. And obviously the theme is one more. Desmond kept saying, Lord, please help me get one more. It was like if there was one more person he had the ability to save, he didn't want to leave him out there because it would take away from the ones that he did save, knowing that there was one more that there was one more, and despite his pain, despite the danger, despite his injuries, he kept asking God, God, help me get one more. He was a religious man, 
that prayed and, and believed that he was on a divine assignment. He had a conviction in his heart that he was going to make a change in this war and in this battle. And today he is a hero because he had this chant, Lord, please help me get one more. And I got to tell you, that is the chant of C3 San Diego, because there is a, a county here in San Diego that needs Jesus Christ. And if we could all have that cry in our hearts, Lord, just help me get one more. Father, help me invite that, that barista, that waitress, that, that soccer mom, that guy I keep seeing at the football game, that, that teenager that I know needs to come to my city. Lord, help me just get one more. Uh, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe there's this that person that keeps showing up in different parts of your life, and you know there's something on the inside of you that God is working for you to invite them to church or to share the gospel with them. But if all of our cry is, Lord, help me just get one more. Imagine what we could do in San Diego. And, and that's actually the cry of Jesus. Jesus. It's actually the cry of Jesus in a very famous uh, parable in Luke 15, 4 to 7. It says this, it says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? I love that clip with Desmond and he's, he's rolling people over, he's looking, he's trying to find that one more, that one more. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. It's my belief that Desmond Doss was, was, was looking at all of these soldiers and realizing if there's one soldier that isn't rescued, that's one more family that loses a husband or a father or a son. So he did everything he could to just get at least one more. And it's no different in the kingdom. If, if there's one person that isn't reached for Jesus, that's one more person that's not spending eternity in heaven. And perhaps generations of people after them, because they didn't make that choice, may not make that choice either. What if all of our cry was, Lord, help me just get one more? Help me just get one more. Jesus told his disciples, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of everybody. And then in the New Testament, uh, in Acts, Paul who used to be Saul, gets knocked off of his horse and, and has an encounter with Jesus. And then, and then Jesus speaks to Paul about going into all the world and gives him his assignment. And I believe that that assignment is the same assignment that you and I have in this life, no matter what area of culture or society we work in or live in or whatever. We all have the same purpose and mission in this life. And Paul repeats this in Acts 26, 16 to 18, what Jesus said to him after he was on the ground. Jesus says, but rise and stand on your feet, Paul, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet to reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So I'm going to deliver you from these people, but then I'm going to send you back to those same people. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. If you're sitting here today wondering, what is my purpose in this life? It is to bring people from the power of Satan to the power of God, from the power of darkness to the power of light. And God uses all of us. He wants all of us engaged and all of us involved. And it's interesting because the way God does things is he uses people. Yeah. 
He uses people to reach people, but he doesn't just use regular people. He uses separate people, separated people. He told the disciples to come to him, and then he sent them out. People that are separated to Christ, God uses to go then reach the world. He took Paul out of the world, and then he put him back into the world to reach the same people that he left. So God uses separated people to him. Paul said in Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So in order to reach the world, God wants to separate you from the world. Desmond Dawes wasn't the same as everybody else in the army. He was different. There was something different about him. He, he had a conviction, and, and something that, that conviction is what made him stand out. And that conviction was initially not embraced, but then later fully embraced. He had a conviction in his heart that he would not use a weapon or kill anybody, and he had a conviction in his heart that he was going to serve God and worship God. He knew what he was called to do. And you heard it in the video. He said, I can't stay here while all of them go and fight for me. While everyone else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. And that's going to be my way to serve. So Desmond Doss knew that he was separated, knew that he had a call, knew that he had a divine assignment. And he wasn't going to let everybody else do it for him. He was going to get off the sideline, find a way to serve. And his way to serve, although unique, was very, very powerful. We all have a, 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 an assignment. We all have something that God is calling us to do in this life, but he wants to separate you and then send you into the world. From the beginning, even in the Old Testament, even in Leviticus, which I don't even know if I've ever preached out of Leviticus, quacha. Leviticus 20, 26. Some of you didn't even know that was in the Bible, but it is. It says, and you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Second Corinthians 6, 17 says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. He wants to separate you from the world so that you can reach the world. Matthew 5, 13, a very famous scripture says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And I like this scripture, and I often hear it preached about how you know, salt is a preservative and we're here to preserve the world, but I would like to, to uh, maybe change that a little bit and tell you that salt is an influence. How shall the earth be seasoned? Salt is not just a preservative, it is a way to influence culture. Christianity should be the flavor of America, should be the flavor of San Diego, and we carry that flavor. But if we lose that flavor, then we're good for nothing and you have to be trampled overfoot. It's a scary verse. I went a little bit deeper into that. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to, for salt to lose its flavor? Because how does salt lose its flavor? And what does it mean to you know, be trampled overfoot? Like, what, what's the context? So I, I dug in a little bit and I found the context for this scripture. And a few of the commentaries said, much of the salt in, in the Palestine region such as that which is found on the shores of the Dead Sea, which I was floating in just a couple of weeks ago, is contaminated with gypsum and other minerals that make it taste flat or even repulsive. When a batch of such contaminated salt would find its way into a household and be discovered, it was thrown out. People would be careful, though, not to throw it on the garden or field because it would kill whatever was planted. Instead, it would be thrown onto a path or road where it would be gradually ground into the dirt and disappear and be good for nothing. 
There is a sin in which salt can't really become unsalty. It's salt. It's, it's salty. But contamination can cause it to lose its value as salt. Its saltiness can no longer function. Another one said that, that when we say loses its saltiness, it could be re- read more literally as being defiled. This is not a scientifically impossible notion of salt becoming flavorless, but rather the common problem in the ancient world of salt being mixed with various impure substances and therefore becoming worthless as a preservative. It's a great picture of the world. And I, and I, and I see this as, as Christians being contaminated by the world and losing our value to the world. In other words, if we become like the world, we have no power to deliver the world. If we're just like them, how can we influence them? We're we're good for nothing. We have no more flavor to bring. And in the first one, it says that that they would even be careful to throw the salt not on, on, on gardens or on plants, the things that were planted, because it would kill them. And I felt like there's a picture that, that I felt like God gave me. Like, imagine I'm witnessing to somebody, a friend. I'm trying to influence them. I'm trying to bring flavor to their life. As a Christian, I'm planting seeds into their life. But then they have another friend that's a Christian that hasn't separated himself or herself to the Lord. And so he has no flavor in his life. And so they see him or her living just like they're living. And he's a Christian. And then they look at what I'm saying. And what I'm saying in the plant and the seeds that I've planted die because that person hasn't separated himself to Christ. So that all of a sudden, everything that I've planted became worthless because we're so contaminated, we lost our value as Christians and as influencers. We need to separate ourselves if we want to reach the world. There's got to be something different. Desmond Doss was different, man. He was different. This is what happened, this is what happened in, in Matthew 17 when Jesus goes up on the mountain, mountain of transfiguration. You guys might remember this story. Jesus goes up onto the mountain, and he gets transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah show up. The, 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 the voice of God comes, and it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Meanwhile, while they're up on the mountain separating themselves to Christ, connecting with God, spending time with God, all the other disciples are in the crowd, in the world, being contaminated, losing their value as Christians, losing their influence. How do I know that? Because of what it says when they come down off the mountain. When they had come to the multitude, Matthew 17, 14, a man came to Jesus right after he comes down off the mountain, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. When just in Matthew 10, they were given power to cure and to cast out devils. Now in Matthew 17, they have no power. Why? Because they were contaminated. They they, they became just like the world, so they had no power to deliver people from the world. Then Jesus answered said, you faithless and perverse generation. He's talking to his disciples and everybody else that can listen. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Because I was just up in the mountain with God. I was just connecting with God. I was just plugging into the source of God. Bring him to me. And, it, and, and, uh, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Because you've spent so much time in the world and let the world contaminate you and you've become like them, now you have no faith to believe to cure them. Now you have no power to deliver the world because you just like them. You're just like them. You're flavorless. You're flavorless. If we want to be used by God, we have to have a devotion life. 
We have to be willing to separate ourselves to God so that he can then send us into the world and affect people's lives. We have to have discipline. We have to be able to go above the crowd and above what everybody else is doing. Like Desmond Doss, man, he took a stand. He took a stand. And your intimacy with the Father will determine your ability to represent him in culture and in the earth. If we don't know him, how can we represent him? And we get to know him by spending time with him. We have to have a personal relationship with Christ. We have to have a prayer life. We have to read the Bible. We got to be in church. Thank you very much. We got to be, uh, have times where we can worship and spend time with God so that we can represent him in the earth. Uh, I, I believe that the more time you spend with God, the more like him you become because you start to learn about him. Des Desmond Dawes was committed. He was a religious man. He was committed to his relationship with God. He even told the guys, he went into the, to the thing and he said, hey, I can't go to war on Saturdays. It's the Sabbath. He's like, I got to read my Bible, spend time with God. And so the guys are making fun of him. And they said, all right, we'll tell the Japanese not to attack us on Saturdays. And he was like, cool. You know, like he, he was like believing it. <laughs> They're making fun of him. They're ridiculing him for taking a stand and for, for believing God. But God needs us not to lose our flavor and not to be contaminated by the world because he wants to reach just one more. Just one more. So much so that God sent Jesus to die on a cross. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world. Everybody just say, so loved. The world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, everybody, every single person, he, he's not willing that none should perish. Whoever, the one, one more, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't just love you. He so loved you. And the word so is so powerful. I believe the word so is so powerful. It was the word so that provoked God to send Jesus to the earth. It was the word so because he so loved you that allowed Jesus Christ to endure the cross, to be beaten, to be whipped, to have his beard pulled out, to be spat on, to be mocked. It was the so. It was the so, I believe, that prevented God from reaching down into the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was so stressed out he was sweating blood trying to decide, can I go through with this? Can I give my life for people who may not ever choose me? It was the so. It was the so that prevented God from rescuing him. Matthew 5, 14 to 16, we see this word so again. We see this word so again. It says, you are the light of the world, not the church. You are the light of the world. In other words, I want you to be separate. I want people to be able to see you in the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they put a lamp on the, uh, under the basket, on, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light should be able to give light to everybody that's in the house. Then, here it comes. Let your light so shine. Say, so shine. Before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God doesn't want you to just shine. He wants you to so shine. There's that word again. It's the same exact so in John 3.16. The same so that provoked God to send Jesus is the same so God uses to describe how dominant and influential you should be in this life. The same so that prevented God from rescuing Jesus from the cross is the same so used to describe how light you should be and how separate you should be from the world. In other words, there should be a so-sized gap between the church and the world. Not because we're better, but because he is. And because if he is in us, we should be shining so brightly. 
We're not better than them. But with Jesus, that, that's the only life. That's the only way for eternal life. That's the only way to be in heaven. That's why we got to so shine. That's why we can't be contaminated by the world. So our voice just blends in with the noise of culture. You got to be in the world, but not of the world. You got to be, you got to be ordinary enough to fit into the world, but extraordinary enough to change it. You got to be common enough to relate to the world, but uncommon enough to disrupt it. God is calling you to be separate so that you can reach people in this life. He doesn't want you to just fit in. But before you get too excited, I want to tell you that when you decide to separate yourself to Christ, the Bible has some promises for you. That there will be persecution. That there will be trials. That, that, that following God isn't just easy. I mean, Desmond Doss didn't have it easy. He had a conviction, but it wasn't easy. He had rips in his hands. He was injured. But you know what his wife told him? You're not like everybody else. You can do this. You can do this. So there will be persecution, and I know that persecution in America is nothing compared to other parts of the world. But there is some, you know, things that are just relative and things that we have to face when you step out and say, you know what, I'm going to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to be separate. I'm going to, I'm going to get my flavor back. When I was in um, commercial real estate before I got into ministry, uh, commercial real estate is a boys' club. There wasn't any women in our, in our office, maybe the secretary or the receptionist or something, but there was no women agents. So there's maybe 50 people in our office, maybe one or two ladies that were just, uh, you know, like receptionists or something. They weren't actually, you know, selling real estate. Before I was in real estate, I was in baseball. <laughs> baseball is a boys club. You're with dudes for eight months of your life, 142 games plus spring training. It is dude central. And when dude get together, there's a lot of dirt bags out there. <laughs> so I went from boys club to boys club. And I remember there was a time when I was in, in my office and I had uh, started coming to see, uh, I started going to church all in with my wife. And I, I started to realize that I was kind of blending in with the crowd. I had no influence over them as far as a, a Christian's uh, perspective because I was doing the same stuff they were doing. So although I might have been going to heaven, I had no power to deliver them from hell. And so I made a decision one day. I said, hey, uh, uh, I was receiving these emails and pictures and pornographic videos, and, and they would just send mass emails out. People would just send them because it's all dudes. And so I was getting these emails, and one day I said, you know what? If I'm going to stand for Christ, i got to separate myself from this. And so I sent a mass email back to everybody in my office, and this was a big deal because I had my best friends in there. We would go to Cancun, Vegas. We'd do the whole thing together. But I sent an email back, and I said, guys, please no longer send me any of these emails. I no longer want to see them. And, uh, I, you know, I got some shade from some of the, some of the guys. But, you know, what? I was, I was trying to take a stand. I was trying to separate myself because I realized if I was like them, I can't influence them. So I did that, and, 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 and about eight years ago, uh, the same thing happened with my friends that I went to college with. I mean, these were guys that I spent probably six hours a day with, with practice or games or classes, lunch, dinners. We did everything together for four years straight. But about the last eight years, they stopped inviting me to things. None of them are, none of them are, are followers of God that I know of, and, and I recently found out that they've been doing a yearly trip uh, every single year for the last eight years, and I'm like the only guy that's not on the invite list anymore. The reason I'm not on the invite list is because they're going to places that they know I wouldn't go and doing things they know I wouldn't do. And it's sad. 
and I, and, I, and I hope it changes. I hope it's different one day. I hope that, you know, they come back. I did hear a couple of them talking about, they've heard a couple of messages online, which is, which is good. It's just one step. It's just, it's just one step. I still, I still love them to death, but here's the deal. If we're going to do this Christianity thing, if we're going to take a stand for Christ, if we're going to keep our flavor, we can't just blend in anymore. I don't want to be the guy when one of them come to me and they say, my kid is a mess. I need him delivered. I want to be able to have the power to set him free. When they come to me and they say, my marriage is a mess, what do I do? I want to be able to speak the word of God in them, and then they can see that my life matters and has a flavor to it, and it can change them. We're either going to do this or we're not going to do it. Come on, we ought to be separate if we want to reach the world. Desmond Dawes was different than every other soldier because he had a conviction that he was not willing to back down from. He was not willing to go against what he believed no matter what. And they gave him plenty of chances. They came, gave him plenty of opportunities. If you've seen the movie, they tried to discharge him. He wouldn't go. They beat him up multiple times, but he kept getting up. They tried to prevent him from getting married and put him in jail. And he said this. He said, I don't know if I can live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. In other words, he'd rather rot in prison or perhaps die rather than go against his conviction and what he believed. You know, they say that uh, you never really live unless you find something you're willing to die for. Desmond Dawes was willing to die in prison or in battle for what he believed in. I don't necessarily recommend you going into battle without a gun. <laughs> but he was on assignment. He was on assignment. So finally, he wins in court. You saw it. Desmond Dawes, you are allowed to run into battle and war without a weapon, without a firearm. He wins, but he was still being ridiculed. In the video, it said, Private Dawes does not believe in violence. Don't, don't look at him to save you on the battlefield. But guess how many 75 peoples ended up looking to him to save him on the battlefield because he was different, because they knew something was different about Desmond. He wasn't the same as them. How do you know it's a divine assignment? Because supernatural stuff happens. Desmond Dawes was in battle. There was bullets flying everywhere. He had no gun, yet he never got shot. He never died. He was hiding in caves. He was jumping off a hacksaw ridge, that cliff, saving people. Supernatural stuff. God was hiding him. God was allowing him to find people that were still alive that he could save and, and pull out and, and bring, to, bring to safety. He even at one point hit a live grenade, injured himself, but saving many. Supernatural stuff was happening with him. Even to the point where they would, uh, by the end of the movie, they wouldn't even go to battle until he was done praying and reading the Bible. There's, you saw it in the video. What are you guys doing? We're waiting for Private Doss, sir. Who the is Private Doss? And he's over there reading his Bible. He's over there on the Sabbath. They knew there was something supernatural on this guy. They were willing to wait for him to go into battle. It was amazing. He didn't, have, he didn't have an arsenal. He didn't have firearms. But he had one thing that everybody else didn't have, and that is God. That is God. It's kind of like David and Goliath. You know the story of David and Goliath. David comes down to the, to the valley, and he sees the Philistine, Goliath. And they try to give him armor, but it just didn't fit. It wasn't him. It wasn't who he was. It, didn't, it wasn't what he really believed in. They tried to give him a sword, and the spirit didn't want it. He said, that's not me. 
David didn't have all the arsenal and the weaponry and the armor bearer that Goliath had, but there was one thing Goliath didn't have that David had, and that was God. And I'm going to read you the scripture because I just love it every time I read it. 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 46. Doesn't matter how many times I hear this. It says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I got something you don't got. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts on the earth. David wasn't just going after Goliath. He was going over after the whole camp. He was going after the whole camp. He said this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Every time we cry out and we get one more person saved, Lord, help me get just one more. We prove to the world that there is a God in San Diego that is still alive, that can still bring life to people, that can still rescue people from hospice, that can still heal people. Every time I pray for somebody, I pray for them so that I can prove that there is a God in Israel, that there is a God in heaven that's still alive, that still has power to transform your life. Like the Zarita family, completely transformed. That glory doesn't go to C3. That glory goes to God. We're just a facilitator. We just happen to not lose our flavor. Lord, help me just get one more. What if that was all of our cry? No matter what we're facing, Lord, help me get just one more. But I know that when you step into your assignment, that there will be persecution, that we'll, we'll, we'll struggle with stuff. Life gets hard. We get beat up, we get discouraged, we get depressed. But if that's you today, I wanna to tell you what God told me last week. He said, hey, trust the call, I have called you. Have I not said if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You might be facing some stuff, but trust what God has said. Trust the call that is on your life. He is with you. He is with you. Like Pastor Charles said, if he's with you, all things are possible. You can get out of this thing. You can do it. Just stay with it. Stay strong. Stand your ground. What you have, they don't have. You have God. And you've been separated for an assignment in this life. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.